0: I'll just introduce I mean, um, good, uh, Mebs uh, Atewa Bahan, who's yeah. going to <laughs> – you can see I, I did some practice um, on the um, solo <laughs> Who, – who's uh, now going to talk about climate change and coral reefs. So, uh, yeah. yours. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. I think it's an opportunity to give a talk after uh, experienced <laughs> people like uh, Franklin and also James. So basically, they have introduced my, my work. I'm from the. I'm a visiting fellow at the Biological Sciences. Uh, this uh, presentation is part of the study that was conducted in East Africa, uh, but mostly in Kenya, and it was also a collaborative work among uh, 15 scientists, coral reef uh, managers, and policymakers. Uh, as we have seen. Um, from the previous presentation, uh, 1998 had great impact on, on the malaria in Ethiopia. I'm also going to focus today on the impact of the 1998 so on coral reefs of the Western Indian Ocean and uh, East Africa in particular. Uh, the presentation is not particular on food security, but it's general on coral reef ecology but as we know, the ecology can be translated into food security and so on. So this is a model presented, um, reported in South Africa, or and it represents the uh, food security in terms of the environment and also socioeconomic factors that are uh, present in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, I'd like to simplify this model. As we can see, uh, poverty can really be correlated to the other factors. Education can be translated into poverty, access to markets, failures in property rights, everything can be related into poverty. So you can have the environmental factors and then also the socioeconomic factors that can be translated into poverty. And uh, when we talk about security, we're not talking about uh, food security, we're not talking about food as we know it on the table. So we are talking about food as it is, but also about the way we produce food, the way we access it, we transport it, access to market, we market it, and so on. So the influence of climate change on food security will be the influence on all these factors, not only as food as uh, Name I'll, keep the, I'll skip this slide uh, because it's a repetition. So climate change will directly impact the environmental change or the environmental or physical chemical factors which will influence the ecological uh, properties of in, an environment. And this will have an impact on the socioeconomic factors which also will influence the uh, Food systems or the food security. Uh, are, this is not a complete cycle because the socioeconomic factors also can influence the food systems directly, but also environment, environmental change can influence socioeconomic factors directly. For example, if you have a hurricane, it's going to disrupt your social or socioeconomic systems. And our socioeconomic systems will impact our, the way we relate with our environment or the ecological systems, which in turn will affect the food systems. Uh, it's difficult to show a relationship between the socioeconomic economic factors and the environmental change as I mean from, to go from bottom upwards, but you can do it. Um, For example, this is where mitigation comes. Uh, We are trying to lower the amount of carbon dioxide that's emitted into the environment. So it is at this level, but it's a medium or a long-term project. It's not an immediate uh, project that involves uh, adaptation or uh, response of communities to climate change. So the presentation is about coral reefs. As we know, coral reefs are tropical ecosystems and they are one of the highest diverse ecosystems on Earth. They are distributed in the tropics mostly between 20 degrees north and 20 degrees south. They like to live in environments that are characterized by high irradiation level or amount of light. And because they live in tropical environment also they have evolved to this constant environment and that's the Achilles heel of coral reefs. Because they, are, they live in a constant or narrow environmental conditions, then they cannot uh, tolerate a small change to, to in, the, in the environment or their thresholds are very uh, narrow. And this is a distribution of coral reefs in the world. As I indicated earlier, they are trop- distributed in the tropical areas. And it's also a global uh, distribution of poverty. And you can see a correlation directly from these maps. Of course, there are places where we have no data, for example, in the central and uh, uh, Sudan, those parts of Africa. But we know these are also poor areas, so you can shade them easily in orange or brown colors. So there is a direct correlation between the distribution of coral reefs and poverty in the world, or we can say coral reefs are distributed in areas where we have very low socioeconomic uh, conditions. Uh, As an example I have given here, Tanzania uh, which depends a lot on the coastal environment This data was taken in 2002 when the population of Tanzania was 34.5 million. Now it is almost 40 million, Uh, so the population growth rate is very high. But the dependence on the coastal environment in terms of industry, in terms of services and and so on is also very high. As you can see, I have highlighted coral reefs and then the services that are related with coral reefs, for example, tourism, coastal protection, and also the activities that are involved in coral reefs like the artisanal and commercial uh, fishing or fisheries. So one-fourth of the population depends on the coastal environment. Almost three-fourths of the industries of Tanzania are present in the coastal environment, and the coastal environment contributes to one-third of the GDP of the country. So that shows clearly the dependence of the country or the region on the coastal environment. But my talk will be on coral reefs, so uh, I'll focus on that part. Uh, Before climate change, coral reefs were already threatened from other disturbances that are linked because they are located in coastal environment. That's where we have all these activities. So there was disturbance from coastal development, as I indicated. There was disturbance from overfishing, destructive fishing, and also pollution because all these activities are taking place in those areas. So what happens is, especially with overfishing and destructive fishing, the catch per fisher community, or for fisher family is very low. If you look at the data in the 1960s, 70s, the catch was very high, but now this is a one-day catch, for example, per fisherman in Kenya, and as you can see, it's very small. But also in terms of trophic level of the fish that are caught, these are not the fish that you prefer—the carnivorous fish, the grouper, snapper, the emperor. You don't see them most of the time. You have change in in the amount of catch, but also in the, um, in the type of trophic level. These are mostly uh, russes that live on seagrass, actually not really coral reef fish. And these are angel fishes or herbivorous fishes that feed on seaweeds. And these are not the most preferred fish. But because those carnivorous fish or predators are already overfished, people are depending now on lower trophic level uh, fish species. So the overfishing or the lowering the amount of catch has called for uh, management interventions and we have in East Africa two types of management interventions are practiced. One is the closed area management or establishment of marine reserves and no-take areas. And the other one is also through gear-based management where you prevent or stop uh, fishermen from using low mesh-sized fishes, uh, uh gears, or you stop uh, fishermen from using, for example, the petrol bombs that I showed earlier, or cyanide uh, poisoning to catch fishes. And the closure, or the first one, the closure area management has resulted in tremendous increase in the amount of fish. As you can see, this is a small family of fish, they can't read these are herbivorous fish. And you can see with time the biomass has increased uh, almost ex- exponentially. So as I said, coral uh, reefs are already stressed from different impacts related to human activities and then now we have uh, climate change and climate change is going to interact with these factors, and most of the time it's going to compound the impact of this factors that are caused by by human activities. And uh, climate change acts in two ways. One is through the increase in temperature or causing coral bleaching. And the second one is through ocean acidification. I'm going to focus on the first one because the effects of ocean acidification are not really witnessed in the tropical areas at the moment because, the uh, dissolution of carbon dioxide is dependent on the partial pressure or the concentration of carbon dioxide into itself and also temperature the cooler the temperature is the higher dissolution rate so the acidity is at the moment higher in polar and temperate area while tropical areas are less affected so it's a matter of time acidification will It's coming fast in the tropics, but now it's occurring mostly in higher latitude areas. So I'm going to focus on the coral bleaching. Uh, Corals are, a coral is um, made of a symbiosis between tiny uh, microorganisms called or tiny plants called zooxanthellae and a polyp or an animal. And what happens is, after temperature increases, this relationship or this symbiosis breaks. The animal pushed off the Zuckstantella or the Zuckstantella leaves the animal themselves. And the animal depends for nutrition on Zuckstantella. And after bleaching, you'll have an animal that's starved. This is a graph that's showing concentration of uh, carbon dioxide, the global concentration. This is before the industrial revolution in around uh, 1800, where the carbon dioxide concentration was at 270-380 ppm, and now after the industrial revolution, as you can see, it is increasing exponentially. With that acidification is, or the concentration of carbon dioxide, uh, sorry, calcium carbonate in the oceans is decreasing. So you have also exponential decline of. Uh, of uh, aragonite saturation or calcium carbonate saturation or the reverse is an increase in acidification this way. With that we have an increase in temperature. That was a global thing but if you look at East Africa we have also inside measurements of sea surface temperature and this is from the Hadley Center here in Britain. And this is temperature data from the 1950s until 2005. And as you can see, this is a mean temperature and this constant increase in uh, average temperature. But not only constant increase, but there is also increase in the anomalous events or extreme events like the 1998 and so that was mentioned. These are the three... And so that occurred in the recent past, 1983, 1987, and 1998. The 1998 ENSO had the highest temperature on record uh, globally, but also for East Africa. From 1950 to to 2000, the temperature in the region has increased by almost 0.01 degrees Celsius a year. Throughout the 50 years, the temperature has increased by half uh, a degree centigrade. So this is what happened in 1998. A hot spot developed first in late 1997, later in the, in the southern part of the Western Indian Ocean, and then it we went upwards, as you can see, until the summer of 1998. Here I have to define a hot spot. A hot spot is the... Anomaly or the difference in temperature from the highest temperature a place has, or the summer maximum. So if you have a spot of one degree Celsius, that means the temperature has increased by one degree Celsius from the average summer maximum. And then you can accumulate all these anomalous temperatures and you have a measure that's called degree heating weeks or degree heating months. If a temperature increases by one degree Celsius for two weeks, then you'll have two degree heating weeks. If it increases by one degree Celsius for five weeks, five degree heating weeks. And this satellite map from NOAA shows the cumulative temperature or the warming stress that we saw in 1998. The blue represents the blue, or the purple represents zero, um, the blue represents zero, while purple represents 14-degree heating weeks, So areas like Kenya here, the she- Seychelles and Maldives, and, and western part of Australia were really cooked in 1998. As I said, corals have lower thermal tolerance, so this is what happened. This is a healthy coral with good pigmentation surrounded by fish. And then after bleaching, a coral loses its pigments and becomes bleached or turns white. And then it dies, and it's uh, covered by algae. And then a healthy reef that looks like this will turn out into, into rubble. So if you are a tourist, you wouldn't love to dive on this area here. If you are a fish, you have lost your habitat. And your nursery area. So coral bleaching is uh, really destructive. So as I said, the corals are the first organisms that are affected by the coral bleaching, but also the fish that feed on the coral. These are the beautiful uh, ornamental fishes that feed on the coral. This is a butterfly fish, an angel fish, a damsel fish. These are the fishes that directly depend on the coral for. Uh, nutrition and also nursery. So after the corals, these fish are the next ones that are affected. But not only ones, the other fish also, the predators and herbivorous fish also depend on the coral structure for, for habitat. So these are, until now, the fish that we have seen that are affected but after some time, the other fish are going to be affected because they have lost their juveniles due to the loss of of habitat. So what's the impact in terms of of, uh, human activity or socioeconomic impacts? The first ones are the ecological impacts. We'll have reduction in coral cover. We'll have reduction or change in coral and also benthic community structure. We have change in biodiversity and function. And then we have also changing ecosystem services. This is the part we are interested in, in terms of food security. Fisheries has direct impact on fish security because fish are are the source of protein for most of the local communities. But also fish as a commodity can be sold and then translated into other commodities and uh, other food items. But also tourism. Uh, these reefs attract a lot of tourists and that's a source of income. After the reef is turned into this kind of rubble, then the amount of, um, uh, the amount of money that you get from tourism would decrease with this kind of environment. But also corals provide with coastal protection. Uh, a coral grows very slowly, like a few centimeters a year, but also after some growth, a coral also dies. So the balance between growth and death of a coral is very little, and the growth is very tiny. So if you lose your coral reef and it turns to rubble, you also will lose your coastal protection, and all the resource, the amount of money that was uh, that you will spend on mitigating or fighting against uh, floods and surges that would have been spent on food is going to be diverted. From a previous study that we did, uh, we also had shown a correlation between environmental factors and the change in the ecosystem, coral reef ecosystem. And from this one, we can, uh, we can show uh, a relationship or, uh, I'm getting a little nervous because. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and from this uh, relationship, we can uh, indicate which areas are vulnerable to climate change and which areas are not. So in addition to the ecological or environmental factors that we have studied, we also uh, studied uh, the socioeconomics of the people from uh, income surveys, household surveys, and per surface surveys, and then we came with this model or with this uh, box. People that have higher socioeconomic, uh, higher income values, or have higher sorry, social adaptive capacity, and then by relating with the environmental factors, you can have this box. So this area, for example, will have high environmental variability, but will have low. So, uh, but will also have. Oh, I think this is turned upside down. Will have high social. Resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one will have high environmental vulnerability but also low social resilience. This area will have low environmental vulnerability but low social resilience, and this is the reverse. So you can map all your areas in terms of the environment, vulnerability to the environment, but also in terms of Social uh, vulnerability, and then you can uh, give some uh, recommendations. So these are the recommendations that we made for areas that have uh, lower social adaptive capacity, but also higher environmental, uh, lower environmental, higher environmental variability. Sorry, we have recommended relief, reorganization, reorganization, and also. Dissociation of people from the environment. But if you have rich communities that are impacted by the environmental change, you can help them adapt. You can change, for example, you can recommend change in the livelihood or they can have different job alternatives. Uh, while these people can be helped to preserve what they have, while this one has enough social capacity but their environment suffers less so they can adapt themselves. And this is my uh, last slide and uh, that shows that what's happening in the environment and what people are doing is really different. For example, if you take the shells here, the shells are high social adaptive capacity but also higher environmental vulnerability. But what Seychelles is doing is they are protecting most of their reefs. But these reefs are vulnerable, so Seychelles should be doing other things, maybe investing on aquaculture or other uh, alternatives. The area, a country that's protecting most of, of its reefs is also Kenya while Kenya has high environmental variability and Kenya also should change its strategy. A place where you have high level of poverty but also low environmental vulnerabilities, uh, vulnerability is Madagascar. And Madagascar can be helped to adapt through uh, relief and aid. This is my uh, last slide. Do you know this guy? yeah this is the president of uh, the mondayers muhammad nasin and yeah. this was part of the campaign for the uh, copenhagen negotiations where this guy's standards is in 1998 it was part of the shore but now since 1998 because the corals offshore have been uh, bleached and have turned into rubble the coastal environment is also being washed away so between 1998 And now they have lost a lot of land. Actually, the Maldives is proposing to rehabilitate people or to take people from the islands to India or to other places. So this was uh, really a powerful uh, message that was sent to Copenhagen. But as we saw, Copenhagen didn't (laughs) work. (laughs) OK, thank you very much. (laughs)